0: His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Pray with me. Holy God, uh, gracious Father, just thank you for your living word. Thank you for the boldness of Jesus' word to destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. That is the most precious truth in the world. Let us see your majesty in this text. Remove any distractions from this room so we can see clearly who you are. We're here with open hands. Transform our hearts. Let your spirit fill this room. Use Justin as your vessel. We love you, Lord. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Patrice. Thank you, worship team, for helping us celebrate this morning. We are uh, reminded this, this weekend of uh, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice, who gave their life fighting for our freedom. We're thankful uh, as we uh, remember uh, Memorial Day, and we're thankful Uh, for for that great sacrifice and uh, really as a model of Jesus, what it means to sacrifice, to lay down your life for another. And so uh, we give thanks to God for that this morning. Uh, As I mentioned, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Ecclesia. We're in John 2 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one. Hopefully in the seat backs in front of you, you're welcome to take that as your own. That's our gift to you. Uh, You can head to the index, look for John, go to John 2, and that's where we'll be. Uh, While you're turning there, uh, just as a way of a few announcements this morning... I want to turn your attention to, first of all, Vacation Bible School. And so Vacation Bible School is a fun-packed Bible week for kiddos of our church and community. And our hope in that is that all of us as a church, we would participate in that, that we would get involved. We have a vision to see the Salt Lake Valley saturated with the good news of Jesus. And one of the ways that we're seeking to do that this summer is through Vacation Bible School. We want to saturate our community with the good news of Jesus, and if you're here and you've adopted that vision, we would just say, hey, jump in with us. This is an opportunity to get involved, and uh, right after the gathering today, there's going to be a brief information meeting to kind of tell you how you can get involved, so if you want to hang around here uh, for about 20, 30 minutes afterwards, we're going to give a few details about that. Also, if you would like to contribute towards Vacation Bible School, you may have walked in and you're like, our... Part of our lobby there was, has become a desert, Okay, and, and the reason why is we got a cactus over there in the corner, and, uh, and that fits our theme that we're doing for Vacation Bible School, and on that cactus is different supplies that you can contribute and bring, and so if you'd like to contribute towards that, go to the cactus, pull out Thumbtack, and then bring your good back uh, next Sunday, and I uh, would encourage you to do that. Um, next Sunday, we begin our Summer in the Psalms series. We've been in John. We're going to set it aside for the summer. Uh, one of our regular rhythms as a church has been walking through the Psalms each summer. And particularly with a week like this week, the Psalms speak to us. The Psalms help us to feel this emotion that most of us really don't want to feel. I, I'm in that category, all right? Lament is not where I love to spend my days, and and but they help us. They help us us learn how to pray, how to cry out to God, how to see our need for God, and would just encourage you to join us. We're going to be starting with Psalm 64 next Sunday, and uh, and this has always been a helpful rhythm. Community groups, this is the final week. They've come to a close, and we'll be relaunching those back in August. Uh, We are, just kind of to give you a heads up, uh, we are providing some community group training this summer, so if you're interested in starting a new community group And that's all of you, because I believe you are equipped to do this. And you're like, hey, I I could gather some people in my home, share a meal, and open the Bible and have some discussion together. And we give you all the resources and come alongside you to do that. Uh, We're going to be offering two trainings on June 26th and July 10th. Pick one. If you'd love to get involved and serve in that capacity, we'd love to have you. And then, lastly, we're still a ways out from this, but I want I want you to begin inviting, thinking, and praying for this event. Okay, July third, it's that's obviously July fourth weekend. We're not going to be gathering in our typical gathering like we're doing this morning. We're going to be having an Ecclesia family and friends barbecue, cookout, party, whatever you want to call it, uh, out in our parking lot. Josh Opp is going to be in a dunking booth, and so if you've ever wanted to throw a baseball and see him go underwater, I'd encourage you to come and do that, right? Um, And then inflatables and brisket, it it doesn't get any better. July 3rd, invite some friends. It's going to be a good time to uh, hang out. Second part of John now, all right? If you remember, the subtitle to our series is painting a clear portrait of Jesus, Okay, painting a clear portrait of Jesus. And to do so, we don't want to leave, leave out any detail that helps us understand the, the nature and character of Jesus, right? So the subtitle suggests that most of us, we, we, we really don't actually have a clear portrait of Jesus. And we need some help. And that's, that's our goal. That's our, our, our design of this series is to really help us paint a clear portrait portrait of Jesus. And I think it's easy for us. There's, there's some characteristics of Jesus that we, we love to overemphasize, right? His love, His forgiveness, His healing. These are all great things. We love to emphasize those characteristics of Jesus. And then there's some characteristics of Jesus that we, we tend to kind of want to leave on the bottom shelf. We're saying, you know what, I don't really want to touch those. And these are like views on his, uh, on his holiness and the cost of discipleship and the sacrifice of following him. And I think there are several things I want to point out this morning from our text. And I think this text really speaks to us this morning. I hope you see the encouragement in this as we look to this characteristic of Jesus that is kind of frightening, right? Right? And, and here's what I would say right out of the gates this morning. We all have a portrait of Jesus that needs to be submitted to the authority of Scripture. We all have a portrait of Jesus that needs to be submitted to the authority of Scripture. And what I mean by that is, what is Jesus like? And not how do we fashion him or make him out to be in our minds, but what does the Bible really say about Jesus? Who is Jesus according to Scripture? And... The Jesus we encounter in, in our text today is probably very different from the portrait we have in our minds when it comes to Jesus. If, uh, if I can take you back to 2006, the, the family classic movie of Talladega Nights, okay? Sarcasm, right? Sarcasm. Uh, in Talladega Nights, we got Will Ferrell playing Ricky Bobby, right? We got Cal Naughton Jr. They're having a discussion. They're praying at the dinner table. You, you may have seen this scene. And they're, they're, you know, Will Ferrell begins to, to pray to baby Jesus, and they begin to have a discussion on how they like their Jesus. And while it's humorous and, and maybe sacrilegious, we, we tend to like our Jesus a certain way. And so they comment, I like to, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to think of Jesus with giant eagle wings and seeing, singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner. I like my Jesus. And maybe you haven't seen that movie, and also, you'll, you'll be okay if you miss out on it. But I think we all like our Jesus a certain way, with certain attributes, with certain characteristics, A Jesus that is more palatable, a Jesus that is more comfortable, a Jesus that makes few claims on my life or has very little authority. And I think if we're not careful, we begin painting a portrait of Jesus that is inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. And quite honestly, I think we often paint a picture of someone who fails to compare to the Jesus of the Bible, one we would surrender our lives to. And I think that's what we see in the text. This is a picture of Jesus. This is one who comes furious, angry. And and this is a picture of one who steps into that fury and anger to redeem us and to rescue us. And so the reason we're spending a significant time walking through the book of John over the next two years is we want to make sure we have the right Jesus. We want to make sure that we haven't just fashioned someone in our minds. When we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? Without an p- accurate picture of Jesus, we're prone to compromise. We, we would say Jesus would never make someone feel uncomfortable. Jesus would never challenge people. Jesus would never press someone to change. And Rather than changing us and changing our viewpoint, we change Jesus. Rather than submitting my life to Him, we submit Jesus to our own authority, and we, we ask Jesus to change and transform rather than change us. Several months ago, I was out playing golf with a friend, and this was a course we, we regularly frequented, and over time, we got to know the staff and they got to know us. And they knew we were pastors at a local church and would regularly ask us questions and have dialogue about the Bible, about Jesus, about salvation. And when we were having lunch one time at the golf course, the golf pro came up and said he, that he's been watching The Chosen. And disclaimer, I, I love The Chosen. I, I think The Chosen is a really helpful tool to give us a, a picture of Jesus. And I know that, that it's given that they, they speculate in some of their stories. They, they add to some of the aspects of the story to make it more relatable. But I, I believe it to be an accurate depiction of Jesus, and I think it's helped many people relate with the stories of the Bible, and so with that said, I think it's a great tool, and he had been watching The Chosen, and he made a comment. He said, if Jesus is really like that, if Jesus is really like that person that The Chosen describes, because this was his only exposure to Jesus, but he's like, if Jesus is really like that, and he goes on to say how appealing Jesus was, then that's someone I would give my life to, that's someone I would love to be in relationship with. And I would, as I would just have this conversation with him, I said, you know, it's not just the chosen that depicts Jesus in this way. The, the Bible depicts Jesus in this way. The Bible teaches us we don't have to guess what Jesus is like. We can go to the Word of God and we can, we can read and we can see and it will help paint that picture and that portrait of Jesus. You can see him. You can see how he's described. And what we have in our story today uh, at first glance uh, may not be that that appealing characteristic of Jesus at first glance. I think when we, we read about the Jesus presented in this text, I think it's a Jesus that kind of scares us. I think it's a Jesus that in some ways doesn't seem approachable. And I'll tell you in other Uh, gospel stories where the cleansing of the temple is described. It actually talks about that right after he flips over tables and gets mad that people come up to him and ask him for healing. And we're like, in some ways, when we've experienced anger, when we've experienced this type of emotion on display, we tend to go like, we need to give that person some distance, but there was something about Jesus in his anger, in his fury, but also he was still approachable, and I think that's worth discussing. And so we're going we're gonna to read this passage today, and, and hopefully we will submit our lives, kind of as the first point there, we will submit our lives to the portrait of Jesus as described in this text. Let's read 2.13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers are sitting there, okay? So, the Passover, uh, we, we've talked for, I feel like we've brought up the Passover several times in the past few weeks, but as a reminder, the, the Passover was celebrated every year, and, and the Passover was a time to look back and commemorate, In in the story of Exodus, where the Israelites were enslaved, and they were to take the blood of the lamb, and the blood would be applied to the doorpost of the home, and and the, the angel would pass through the city, and he would see the blood, and when he saw the blood, he would pass over, he would preserve the life of those Israelites, and to commemorate that, the Passover is celebrated every single year. And so this is the Passover festival that's happening in Jerusalem. And the Passover festival happening in Jerusalem would draw almost 2 million people from the surrounding area. People would travel, and this would be a week-long event celebrated in Jerusalem. I mean, you can imagine the commotion, the chaos. There's, there's 2 million people coming Upon the city because they would come to the temple and it was at the temple that they would there make sacrifices. And, and this is what we see. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and money changers. Now, we need to understand why are there sheep and oxen and pigeons and money changers? What's happening here? And so in the temple, they would come and they would make sacrifices. And these sacrifices were, were to be made for our sins. And so we would come, and being someone who traveled from far and wide, we, we couldn't travel with our animals. And so we would come, and rather than bring our animal along with us, we would come and we would purchase animals. And there's money changers. And so we, we would have to exchange our coin, and the coins would be transferred. And, and then we would buy an animal, and then we would give over that animal to the priest, and that, that animal would be slaughtered, that animal would be sacrificed. For as a as a symbolic way of for forgiveness for our sins. And there's different parts of the temple. Because if we understand this text, we have to ask the question: why is Jesus angry? Like, surely this is needed. It is needed. They 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 need animals for the sacrifice. They they need something to come and symbolically atone for their sin, to take on their sin. And, and so this is needed. Well, well what's, what's the challenge here? One is they're actually in the temple. The Jews only had jurisdiction of the temple, and so they were required to set up inside the temple. And so it would kind of be in the outer courts of the temple when, when they would walk in through the beautiful gate, they would enter into the temple, and those outer courts were the place where the Gentiles were actually allowed to come in. And you can imagine this would be a barrier for the Gentiles. The way in which this was constructed, the way in which this was set up would, would be a barrier for those Gentiles because that is, the only, that is as far as they can go in. And as far as they can go in would be a place of absolute commotion and chaos. It's not a place of worship. It's not a place of prayer. It's not a place of reverence. It's a market. It's a trade. It's been commercialized. And so we see this 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 picture. It's very disruptive. And then you go in and, and you have the inner court, and this is the place where the sacrifices were made, and it would be reverent, it would be a holy place. And then behind that we have the holy of holies, and we see that there is a veil that is there. And only the priest can enter, only the priest can go beyond the veil. And so you can imagine what's happening here. Imagine the commotion. Imagine the chaos. Imagine the disruption. This is not a place of worship. This is not a place of reverence. This is not a place of experiencing God. It's it's very distracting. And what Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to come in, and he's going to be cleaning house. In verse 15, It says, in making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. They had made the house of God into something it wasn't supposed to be. They had distorted the purpose of the temple. They had distorted the purpose of why they were gathering. And so I I want you to see this. Secondly, Jesus wants to cleanse us of anything that will distract us from experiencing the presence of God. As you walk in this morning, as we gather in God's house this morning, and we'll get to the idea of of Jesus saying that he's the temple, and then we'll get into First Corinthians talking about we are the temple. But here we are in God's house, and isn't it true that some mornings we come and we gather and we walk in this room and we're distracted? There's things that distract us from experiencing the presence of God. Maybe it's the news, the week of headlines, the weightiness of evil in our world, the abuses in our world. It, it causes us in some ways we're distracted. We think of all that we need to do, all that we need to engage in, all that we, we, we need to, to enter in and help with, and, and we just grow distracted. And we walk in this morning, and we carry heavy hearts, and Jesus wants to free us from that. He wants to cleanse us from anything that will distract us from experiencing His presence. Worship had become distracting. Worship had become empty. Worship had become meaningless. Worship had become routine. You can imagine. I, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, they're they're walking in with your son, and as they're walking in, the the dad, the father, is telling the story of Passover, where where God passed over, where He preserved the life of the Israelites, and you know, we come and we make these sacrifices, and you walk up to the temple, and it's just commotion. It's chaos. And then all of a sudden, you see this crazed man over in the corner flipping over tables, throwing coins with a whip. And you're going, this is just hard to understand. This is hard to relate. I I feel like it it, it would cause us to take a step back. And I believe what Jesus is stepping in to do in this context is he's attempting to open their eyes. He's trying to shake them. He's trying to look look at what this has become. Look at what you've made my father's house. He's trying to wake them up to the reality of what they're missing out on. Wake up. And he does it with such passion and fury. And I'm just wondering this morning, what would it look like for Jesus to cleanse us? for Jesus to come in and cleanse us of the things that are distracting us from experiencing His presence. Can I tell you how the Lord does that with me? I think it's often, and I'll tell you this. I'll step back in the story. If you know the Gospels, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple appears in other Gospels at different places in the Gospel. Now, Some of the gospel accounts are not necessarily written in chronological order. And so we could ask the question, why does John position the cleansing of the temple right here at the beginning? Or does Jesus actually cleanse the temple right here at the beginning and he does it a second time? Because if you read in your Bibles, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, all of these describe the cleansing of the temple and in fact, Most of those accounts happen right before Jesus goes to the cross and is crucified, which you would think if Jesus busts into the Jewish temple, starts flipping over tables, they're like, we're really sick of this guy. We should kill him. It seems to make sense. But there's enough subtle differences in the text to make us think that Jesus actually cleanses the temple twice, that he cleanses the temple here at the beginning And then he comes back at a later time and cleanses it. They didn't learn their lesson. And I, I go, you know what? Sometimes I don't learn my lesson. Sometimes I need Jesus to come in and cleanse the temple over and over and over again. I don't learn my lesson. Now, if we look back and we look through the lens that I talked about last week that All of these initial stories, this is John helping illustrate to us like he's breaking in to show that... Judaism is obsolete, that we're no longer following. The reason I say that is last week we talked about the, the cleansing pots, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to take those cleansing pots that were for cleansing, and I'm going to fill them with wine, which represents my blood, and my blood is actually the thing that's going to cleanse you. And he's saying, you know what? These cleansing pots, we, have no, long, we no longer have need for those. And then we see in, in, in John chapter 2, right here at the end of John chapter 2, he's breaking in to this scene, and he's going, you know what? We bring these sacrifices and he's like, I, I am sick of, of these worthless offerings that you come and you bring these offerings, but it has no significance, no meaning. You have no understanding of what you're doing. You're literally walking in, you're buying an animal, you're turning, you're giving to a priest, and you're not looking like something is having to die. Something is dying. Something, you're, you're supposed to look at this animal and go, that's supposed to be me. I'm the one who deserves to die. I'm the one, because of my sin, I deserve to die. And he's going, we've lost that. We've made it a market. You buy your animal, you give it over, you go about the festivities. We've lost the significance of the sacrifice. And and so we see that here he jumps in and he goes well i'm going to bring a sacrifice that helps us once for all that this i will bring new meaning to the idea of sacrifice i will forever change this idea of what sacrifice looks like because it's just grown routine and you keep doing it over and over and over again but it doesn't change you And so if we start looking through that lens and we see that he's breaking into Jewish customs, he's going, ceremonial pots, we have no need for those anymore. This whole sacrificial system, we're going to have no need for that anymore. John chapter 3, he comes to the teacher of the law and he's like, hey, I'm actually the teacher of the law. Hey, in John chapter 4, he comes to the Samaritan woman and, and it's like, hey, because of your religious customs, how are you, a Jew, a male come to me, a woman of the night, and, and he's like, yeah, we don't, we don't hold to that anymore. In John chapter 5 and 6, he's saying, hey, you take the bread, but I'm actually the bread, and he's breaking in. He's bringing all new meaning to this, and so we see, like, is, is he doing, is it multiple cleansings? Is it one? I was like, I don't know, and I think there's a lot of scholarly debate on it, but here's what I'd say. I think there's significance and meaning in both of them, and I think there's significance when you go and you look at the other accounts that I, that I mentioned in, in Matthew 21 and Mark 11 and Luke 19. See the differences. Hear the differences. Read. Mind the text. See what he's doing. But here we see Jesus is cleaning house. And I want you to hear, here's how Jesus cleanses me. Um, and I, I would say this happens quite often, which is why I, I was hanging out with somebody this week, and he's like, is it one cleansing, or did he do multiple cleansings? And I, at that time, I said, I think it's one. And then I came back yesterday, and I was like, I think it's two. And you know what? For me, it's like 22. And, and we need it. We need cleansing. We need to be cleansed. And, and I said, this actually happens quite often. There's, there's seasons in my life where the presence of God is actually quite near, and if you're like, well, what does that look like? And, and just to, to kind of help bring in, it just, it looks like relationship. It looks like as I go throughout my day, I, I, I experience that God is with me. That He's near to me as I hear news that is really terrible. That I experience the kindness and comfort of God to minister to my soul in the midst of that. That I'm reminded to turn back and read truths of Scripture that remind me of who He is and that He's coming to eradicate evil. But there's also seasons in my life where, where God feels quite distant. And I find that when it is distant, I don't actually know it's distant, I'm actually just not aware. I'm busy, I'm running through the motions. And then it's like something happens. God breaks in. And it's like I, I open my eyes. I'm, 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 I'm sh- shook to a point where I go, man, look how far I've come. Look how far I've gotten. I, I had no idea I was distancing myself. I had no idea that I was putting barriers. And I've, maybe I'd I've just been going through the motions. And, but in, his, in the Lord's kindness, through his word, through a book, Through a friend, through a sermon, God wakes me up to what I've been missing. He cleans house of anything that is robbing me of his presence. And I would say, if that's not happening to you, it may happen differently. I would say, if that's not happening to you, if he's not shaking you, if he's not opening your eyes to the sense of like, you are being robbed of my presence. You're not experiencing that. I would say, number one, you don't know him. You don't know him. Or two, you're running from him. And what I'm praying this morning is that Jesus would break into our lives and flip over some tables. That he would reveal some things in our life that are keeping us distracted from experiencing his presence. What I see in this text, what's Jesus fighting for, for real? Like what, what's he fighting for? What's the purpose of this text? What is John telling us in this text? And I think of all the things, like this is the one text where we see Jesus get angry and get mad. And I think when we when we when we do that, we we have to go like, what is it about this event? Why is this the one instant? You know, of all the text we have, like, he he's angry. He's mad. He's furious in this moment, and I would say, he doesn't want religious activity. He wants a relationship with you. The crowd had grown desensitized to the sacrifice. The crowd was just going through the motions. And I think it's easy for us. You know, it's easy for me. To show up week after week after week and just go through the motions. When we prayed this morning with our worship team, I just said, Hey, it's easy for us this morning to get up and be like, Man, I hope I I hope I get everything in my notes correctly. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, we sing on key this morning, and I hope we end that song, you know, with you know the right drum beat. And obviously you don't, I don't know what I'm talking about, but. There's a sense of going, we just want this to be, we've made it into something it's not supposed to be. And it's in the midst of that that Jesus breaks in and Jesus is furious. And I want you to see this as his love for you. When I think about the sacrifice of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished for us, do we know the significance of it? Did Jesus really die so we could just have one hour on Sunday morning where we come, walk in a room, and tell everybody, hey, yeah, man, we're good, we're good, sing a few songs and then go on about our life? He's saying, hey, do you see the significance of the sacrifice? Do you see the significance of what I've done? Don't just go through the motions. It's not just about religious activity, it's not about performance, it's about relationship. I wonder if Jesus showed up at our gathering. If he showed up here this morning, what would he say? What would he do? What would he drive out of our house? How does Jesus cleanse us in this text? He gets angry. He gets angry. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned those tables. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He's angry. What I would say is when the things of this world get twisted and radically distorted from what God's original intent was, what he designed it to be, He gets furious. I think there's a lot of things that Jesus would have righteous anger in our world. And I think there's some things that we should be moved to righteous anger over. Abortion. Sexual abuse. Marriage. Gender. Dysphoria. Identity. I'm just wondering, what are the things that move us to have a righteous anger? that have been distorted from God's original intent that would cause him to flip over tables. You can tell what a person loves by what he hates. What we see in Jesus, what are the hates and loves of God? You know what he hates? He hates insincere and distracted worship. He hates it when his people don't experience the presence of God. Because he knows that his presence with you is what sets you free. That's life-giving, joy-giving. Experiencing the presence of God matters to Jesus. And it makes him furious. You can tell what a person loves by what he hates. I love my kids. I love my family. I love my church. And if anything were to come against that to threaten that, I would get furious. I would get angry. And it would be a righteous anger. Because it's done out of love, not self-interest. And that's important to depict. When we think about the anger of Jesus, I think most of us in this room, we've been trained to be nice. Just be nice. As a Christian, you just just need to be nice. Jesus wasn't nice. And that's where I would say we want to paint a clear picture of Jesus. Jesus was kind. Jesus was loving. But Jesus wasn't nice. Jesus comes and breaks in. He makes people uncomfortable. He calls out sin. He asks people to transform their life. He calls them to sacrifice. He doesn't idly sit by with people and just allow them to destroy their life. He engages. He moves in. He moves close. He flips over tables. He engages to purify us. Do you see this as his love for you? Do you see in, in light of our engagement with others that we would want to jump in and, and not be nice, but to see people purified? I think there's a lot of people who probably be like, you know what, our pastor at our church, he's not very nice. He yells at us for an hour on Sunday mornings. And I hope you see that as my love for you, My concern for you, my heart for you to be purified and experience the presence of Jesus. Tim Keller said this, talking about last week, the wine this week. If Jesus Christ comes into your life, he will on one hand fill your table with a feast, and at other times he'll turn your table over and spill everything on the ground. This is the Jesus we serve. We like the feast side, right? The turning the table side, I don't know. I can avoid that, right? But he gets angry. And it's, it's okay to get angry. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the, the passage says, Be angry and do not sin, which means we can be angry and, and not sin. Now, I have been angry and sinned. You've been angry and sinned, right? If I yell at my kids out of love for them, Don't go in the street! You know, they're riding their bikes. They're not paying attention. They run a stop sign. That's out of love for them. As a good parent, you should raise your voice. You should get angry. If your child spills a glass of milk at the table, probably, like, if you yell at them, you're in sin. It's not out of love for them, it's out of your own self interest. They run your table, they run your carpet, whatever. And that's what we have to, to judge. David Pallison wrote a great book called Good and Bad about anger and how we can show appropriate anger. We think of Martin Luther. Martin Luther wasn't nice. Martin Luther brought reform to Catholicism, nailed the 95 Theses to the door, right? He was picking a fight. Not out of immaturity, not out of self-interest, but because something important was on the line. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? Why did they not yield in submission? Why did they not... Why were they not nice? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Ray Ortland says, sometimes in order to preserve the integrity of the gospel for others, the gospel in both principle and practice, in both doctrine and culture, we must resist, we must protest, and we must offer a positive alternative for the sake of the future. You can't always be nice. Don't let people fool you. Just be nice, engage, act, show a righteous anger. He cleanses out of love for us. In John chapter 17, verse 19, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he says this at the very end And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. For their sake, I do this for them. I'm giving my life as a sacrifice. For them, I'm giving my life for them so that they may be sanctified. I'm doing this out of love for them. Do they see it? Do they know it? Do they realize the sacrifice? Do they know that what I'm coming to bring and do, and, and I'm seeking to purify them, I'm seeking to cleanse them, I'm trying to eradicate this, this uh, bringing about of, of, of sacrifice and that's grown routine, that has lost its meaning and significance. I want to do something significant in their life. I'm coming to do this so they'll see the significance. Verse 18, said, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And basically, this is the question of going, what gives you the authority to do this? Jesus walks in, he flips over tables, he, money going everywhere, he runs out all the oxen. I mean, people are probably pretty angry over this. And it says the Jews come to him and they go, you got to show us some signs You got to show us something. What what gives you the authority to do this? And I think that's a question we ask a lot. What gives Jesus the authority to cleanse us? Well, hopefully, as you come to Jesus and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're asking him to cleanse you. You're asking him to purify you. You're asking him to make you whole. You're asking him to make you free. This is what it looks like when we come and we submit our lives to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to walk in the way that you have walked. I want to live the way you have lived. And when I come, I want to experience the joy and fullness of life. And that's the purpose of John, that John says he's written these things so that we might believe and that in through that belief we might have life. And if we want to have life, then we've got to be cleansed of our sins because we can't. We're experiencing death. When we walk in our sins, we're experiencing death. And we want life. And so we're asking. We submit to the authority of Jesus and we say, hey, Jesus, cleanse me. Cleanse me. I bring my life. I want you to purify me. I want you to make me right. I just confess, Lord, whatever it is in my life that is keeping me from experiencing your presence, you would remove from me. I want to experience life. And so he's asking, what, what authority do you have? And when Jesus has authority in your life, you let him cleanse you. You submit your life to him. They ask him, what sign can you show us? And here's his answer. He's like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and be resurrected. He didn't say it in such clear terms, right? What sign do you show us? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. He's, he's talking about the resurrection. But they were confused. The Jews then said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus ultimately is going to come, and this is the last thing I would have you see. Jesus becomes the sacrifice to bring us into the presence of God. Jesus looks at this system, and he's like, man, this is broken. They've distorted it. And he doesn't just say, hey, clean it up, get it right, make it right, do this, do that. He doesn't come around with just some commands. He goes, you know what? They're never going to get it. It's going to take me late. I mean, he, he says, the temple, it's going, to, it's going to be crushed, and I'm going to raise it again in three days, and they have no idea what he's talking about. He's like, man, they don't know. They don't know what I've come to do. They don't know what I, I've come to lay down my life. I've come so that they could experience the presence of God. The system's broken. And what John is is writing here, he's saying, Jesus is coming in to break into the Jewish rituals and practices, to bring new life, to bring new meaning. That we no longer bring our animals for sacrifice and participate in this religious routine. He wants to show them the significance of the sacrifice. This is meant to blow our minds. Jesus is angry. Jesus is furious. He, he's trying to get you to experience the presence of God. And he say, you know, it's, it's taken 46 years and they don't get it. And what he's doing is he's going, I'm, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to flip over tables for it. I'm going to go and face persecution for it. I'm going to give my life for you to experience it so that you can experience the presence of God without distraction. And when Jesus was crucified, and when Jesus was buried, it says in Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verse fifty-one, it says, "And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom." And this is a picture of us now having access to the presence of God. It was no longer a veiled-off room that none of us could get to. That. His presence was made available to all. We no longer had a priest because he was our high priest who made a sacrifice once for all to give us access, to bring us into the presence of God. And maybe today he's just asking us Do you see the significance of the sacrifice? Do you see what I came to do? Do you see? Don't just show up on Sunday morning get your animal and think hey and, and turn it in and be like hey I did my religious duty and go on about your way. He's wanting to bring you into so much more. And so the veil was torn. It was torn in two. And he's like don't miss it. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16, one of the most astounding truths of scripture, it says, "Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know, guys, that that you as God's church, as God's people, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. The very thing that they were coming to experience, the very the purpose of the temple was they would come to the temple and it was only there that they could experience the presence of God. But Jesus is going to go, and he's going to be sacrificed. The veil is going to be torn. Access to God is made available, and we get to experience the presence of God. Not just when we show up here on Sunday morning, not just when we come to worship together, but we get to experience him 24-7. He goes with us, and Jesus goes, my sacrifice brought that about. My death on the cross brought that about. The whole truth of the the Bible, what it points to. If you're like, what is the point? It's not about going to heaven someday, although that's a great gift and we all look forward to it. It's about bringing you into his presence. The garden starts... With, with Adam and Eve, with God, in the garden, in his presence, we see that God created a way with his temple to be with God in his presence. We see Jesus comes, and Jesus breaks through the veil. Jesus gives us access. We are made readily available to God the Father. We get to experience his presence, and then if we read in Revelation, it tells us that there's going to be a day, one day, where we come, and there's going to be no pain, no sickness, and it says, we will be with God forever. In his presence. Do we forget that? That's the thing. That's what he's coming. What is it that's keeping you from remembering and experiencing the gift of the presence of God? That's what this text is all about. And this is what he gets furious about. This is what he gets mad about. Don't get distracted. Remember the sacrifice, remember what I gave you. You're not alone presence of God is with you. So as we close, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I want to just ask you a question of response this morning. What if Christ came to this temple? When I say this temple, I mean you. Point point at you. What, What if Christ came to the temple of your life, What do you need him to cleanse? What do you need him to come to you with this morning and he needs to remove so you can experience the presence of God? What is it that's keeping you distracted from experiencing his presence? And I don't know what that is, but I know that the Lord has kindness to reveal that to us. If we'll ask him, Because he longs to be in relationship with us. He's furious about it. He's willing to die for it. So I want you, just in the next few moments, if you'll just kind of close your eyes and bow your heads, and I don't do that as a weird religious way, but just to help you focus for a second and be quiet before God the Father. And just ask yourself the question what's keeping me distracted? That we need Jesus to cleanse? What do you need him to drive out? What's keeping you from experiencing the free, life giving enjoyment presence of God? Lord, I pray that you would. In the next few moments, as we respond together, that we believe that you are here in our presence this morning. And Lord, we are not coming in our pride this morning. We want to come and we do lay down our lives saying, Jesus, you have authority to do whatever you want to do in our lives. we're asking you to cleanse us, to remove the things from us that distract us from seeing your presence and experiencing your presence. Lord, cleanse us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus.